One of the reasons I love being at home around Christmas is seeing my family. But there's one person in particular who brings me great joy. This little guy right here, my nephew. He's wonderful. The Christmas season is about children. There are many children's movies, presents, toys. But the real reason for Christmas is all about one child, and his name is Jesus. Isaiah talked about him and said that his name shall be called Wonderful. And I agree, Jesus is wonderful. In the 1950s, the gospel group called the Angelic Singers wrote 50 tracks within five years. But there's one most popular song is the song that we'll be talking about today. Today's Christmas playlist is Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful child. Amen. Would you stand up one more time in reverence for the reading of God's word? Isaiah chapter 9 today, beginning with verse 6 and 7. I just came to lift up the name above every name today. I just came to love on Jesus today. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Heavenly Father, anoint the word today. We worship you, we lift you up as our Savior, the great I am, our comforter, our deliverer, our everlasting Father, our Savior, the one who loved us when everyone left us, the one who saved us when the world gave up on us, the one who came for the least and the last and the lost, the one who came for sinners like me. We celebrate you today, Jesus. We're thankful that you are a wonderful child, but we're grateful that you're mighty God and you're a resurrected king from now throughout eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Prophet Isaiah released many prophecies 740 years before the birth of this wonderful child. The book of Isaiah starts off in the first 39 chapters as a book of judgment with a glimmer of hope in the form of a Savior, and then it moves into God's preeminence in chapter 40 through verse 15 all the way Nearly to chapter 50, it deals with the sovereignty of God and the preeminence of God. Then my favorite passages of Scripture in Isaiah, the suffering servant Scriptures, where it says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his stripes we've all been healed. And then the last 12 chapters of the book of Isaiah it deals with future events. Isaiah chapter 2 speaks of a time where there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more war, where war will come to an end and peace will be all that we will ever experience 
on this earth. In fact, the United Nations building in New York City has that verse on the outside of it, hoping one day there will indeed be peace between the nations. Well, I've got news for the United Nations. One day there will be peace because a Savior is coming back. His name is Jesus. He will defeat Satan once and for all. And we will come back with him dressed in robes of fine linen and we will reign with him for a thousand years in what the Bible calls the kingdom age. Others call it the millennial reign. Could you imagine a world with no war ruled by one perfect person named Jesus where people live past 100 years old on a regular basis where children can play with snakes and bears and not get injured. That day is coming, my friend, where there will be peace, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more pain, no more diabetes, no more addiction, no more depression, no more fleshly struggle. It's why he came. It's why he died. It's why he was raised from the dead. Acts chapter 3 calls this millennial reign times of refreshing. See, we Pentecostals use that as a reason to have revival, but in fact, it's talking about a literal kingdom that Jesus will return and establish. And although Islam may have control of the Temple Mount today, there will be a rebuilt temple there one day, and Jesus will reign from it. People say, why don't you get so uptight and upset about politics? because I'm from another kingdom. I believe in another form of government. I serve a different kind of king. I'm an ambassador of that kingdom. I've seen all I need to see of the kingdoms of this world. My perspective is higher. It's hopeful. It looks ahead to the future, to where we will reign with one who is worthy of our worship worthy of our adoration, worthy of our love, worthy of our surrender. Christ is in power for a thousand years after he returns. Daniel's 70-week prophecy in chapter 7 and 8 of the book of Daniel speak to this. He will reign, and we will reign with him. We know that there is a rapture. I taught you this on Wednesday nights through the book of Revelation. First time Jesus comes back for us, the next time he comes back with us and we will reign and rule with him. There is a literal kingdom that is coming. You often hear me preach of a spiritual kingdom that we have access to by way of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We have access to the kingdom because of the Holy Spirit, which means we don't represent politics. We don't represent even our race or the pigment of our skin. We represent God's kingdom by way of the Holy Spirit, which we've all been grafted into by way of the blood of Jesus. We are from another kingdom, and we can occasionally have heaven on earth through the Holy Spirit because of the spirit that reigns on the inside of us. But yes, there is a spiritual kingdom, but there is a literal kingdom coming. You see, the Jews were looking for an actual king, a monarch. They were looking for someone to liberate Israel and just to liberate the Jews. And because of that, they missed this humble servant born in a manger that would one day become king of all kings. 
And so when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, you have some great doctrine here. The first thing that we read is, For unto us a child is born. That speaks first to God's humanity. We've done a great job as evangelicals of honoring God's deity, the fact that he is spiritual and he is God, but we've failed too many times to preach on his humanity. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He felt pain. He was hungry after he fasted 40 days in the wilderness. He was just like you. He had flesh. He had temptations. He got hungry. He got tired. You remember the storm? He was asleep on the boat. He was a human being. And he had to be, if you think about it. He had to come and identify with us so that he could lead us. I heard a story of a great monarch from the 1600s and two times a year this monarch would take off his robe, his royal robe that would rest on the shoulders of the king and he would take his robe off and he would go hang out with the common men. He would go wherever they would go. Some would even call them peasants and he would go and there were all kinds of security concerns when the monarch would do this. And they, it would really trouble the entire kingdom when he would take the robe off and go spend a day with the common people. And the king responded and he said, how can I lead them if I can't identify with them? How can I serve them if I don't know them? And I think of our Savior who came and lived like we lived, was crucified and experienced the torment of an agonizing death just like many human beings have. He had to identify with the best of us but the worst of us so that he could lead us out of this sin-cursed world. I'm grateful he's a king that didn't just reign above me. He came to identify with me. I'm grateful that I serve a king who gets involved in my struggle a king that never views me as a peasant or too far gone. A king that literally takes off of his robe and puts it on his children and brings us into fellowship with him, not so we can reign under him, but so we can reign with him. That's the sign of a true leader, not someone who can lord over people, but someone who can elevate people to their purpose. That's who Jesus was. For unto us a child is born, his humanity. Unto us a son is given. So we shift from humanity into his divinity. Now we see the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father being the covering, the Son being the fulfillment of prophecy, the finished product, the Holy Spirit being divine momentum. Now we have a son that is given. So now God is involved. So yes, he came as a human being, but he also came as not only the person who created the heavens and the earth, but the one who came and conquered it and bought back our freedom through his blood. Divinity. And the government will be upon his shoulder. So we move from his humanity to his divinity to his authority. His authority. People may mock him now. They may dishonor the name of Jesus in the public arena now. It may appear 
as if those of us who love Jesus, it may appear like we're losing in this season. But make no mistake about it. We have the victory. We have the victory today. We had the victory yesterday. And those of us that know him will have that victory throughout eternity. We have the victory, and my Bible says that one day every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every Buddhist knee will bow. Every Islamic knee will bow. Every atheistic knee will bow. Every sin-filled, sick person, even the, those that abuse children will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and Lord above all, his authority and his name. Now we move from his humanity and divinity and authority into his royalty. Now we're about to get into his royal attributes. And see, we don't get into these for the purpose of renaming Jesus. He has a name. These are divine attributes that you have access to. If you can believe by faith that God is who he says he is, you can have what the Bible says you can have. You can have whatever you can wrap your mind around and whatever you can move your tail towards. Because faith is not just a tingle. Faith means you believe it to the degree you take action on it. It's not faith if you're not willing to do something with it. Faith does something. It's a verb. It moves. It speaks. It breathes. It acts. And his name will be called Wonderful. Let's get into that. Wonderful. Wonderful because he is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just above us, but with us. It is Pele in the ancient language. It means extraordinary, mysterious, and unfathomable. Nifleo, the Hebrew root, it's a feminine plural participle, and this is what that means. It is one of the words for miracle in the Old Testament and the amazement that comes from an authentic miracle. And I'm not talking about some of these miracles, you know, you see on social media. People trumping up a miracle, everybody shouting in a Pentecostal church, pull the person out of a wheelchair, walk around with it, then turn the streaming off, the guy goes back to a wheelchair. Listen, don't, listen, when you fake stuff, this isn't for Abba's house, it's for out there. When you fake stuff, you hurt the witness of Jesus Christ. You hurt the word of God when you have to fake something and trump something up to pretend a revival's going on. Let me tell you something, a revival starts with you. You ain't got to fake miracles to get people to come to Jesus. He's all right all by himself. He's sovereign all by himself. Wonderful. Counselor. These are really connected. Yoetz. Counselor. See, I believe in therapy. I, I do believe in counseling. I believe for certain mental illnesses that medication helps with a chemical imbalance. I'm not anti-science. But I want to tell you the greatest counseling appointment I've ever had was the one I set up with Jesus. The greatest wisdom I've ever received was from a man named Jesus, born in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem, the house of bread. The greatest advice I've ever been given was not from a man or a woman, it was from Jesus Christ. 
And if you have the Spirit living on the inside of you, He will counsel you. He will lead you out of darkness. He will transform your mind. Even if you have difficulty studying or paying attention in school or even reading a book and retaining it, when you have the Holy Ghost on you, God can transform your mind. I can't tell you how many people I've met who were terrible in grade school, but when God got involved, were able to get degrees and accomplish great exploits because they read Romans 12 and realized God can indeed transform the mind. The greatest counselor I've ever sat in front of was a king. It's an advisor, one who speaks on behalf of a king or someone in authority. Luke 2, 47 says, all who heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and his answers. See, Jesus was trained in rabbinical school. Jesus knew more, not just from the Torah, the word of God, but the revelation from his own father than all the rabbis that came before him. That's why they never could trap him. They constantly, leading up to his crucifixion, would try to trap him in some old covenant doctrine. And they never could because he had a sharp mind and he had studied the word of God and he had the revelation to match it. There's nothing stronger than knowing the word of God and then having the spirit of God manifest inside of the word you've already learned. See, some people have spirit and they have no word, so they end up doing nonsensical things that hurt the kingdom. Then some people have so much word that they become arrogant and they don't have any spirit to back up their word. They just use the word as a sword to whip other believers. It's like they want to have a spelling bee or a jeopardy contest with other Christians instead of going into the lost world and preaching the riches of God's grace to the lost. How many degrees do you need to tell somebody about Jesus? How many books do you have to write to tell somebody about Jesus? That's free. Luke 4, verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? You see, if you've got the revelation of God and the word of God in your heart, you've got to understand how the world's going to respond to you. That was an insult. Isn't that just the carpenter's son, the contractor's son? Isn't he just an old carpenter's son? You see, people are always going to try to minimize your gift and your anointing and what you've accomplished. But you, if you know God, you can't let them do that. You have to have the Word of God richly inside of you. So when people try to minimize your calling or what you've accomplished or what God's placed on your life, you can begin to say, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You, you can begin to say, I'm in the royal line. I'm a king. I'm a priest. No weapon formed against me can prosper. I'm gifted. I'm wonderful. I'm anointed and blessed. See, you can choose to believe the haters or you can choose to believe the word of God. He's a counselor. The third person of the Godhead found in him is the Holy Spirit. Luke 2.39 says of this wonderful child, that the child became strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The spirit in the Greek is charis, unmerited, undeserved favor. 
If people call you a charismatic, you know what that means? It doesn't have anything to do with tongues. It means you're a grace fanatic. I say, hey, call me a charismatic. I am obsessed with grace. I'm obsessed with grace to the degree it aggravates religious people. Hey, it's fun. I promise you, jump on board with me. It's fun to get the religious spirit stirred up with the grace of God. Amen. John 16, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Wonderful counselor. Number three, mighty God, mighty God. This was a declaration of his deity, his kingship and his lordship. Mighty God, you're facing a season that you don't know how you're going to get through. Tap into the power of God. If you don't know how you're going to survive losing your loved one, the one that was there for you, the one that guided you, if you don't even know how you're going to make it through Christmas, understand that he's a mighty God. He can part the Red Sea. He can raise the dead. He can heal the sick. And he can get involved in your spirit and bring joy to you in this season. He's mighty God. He's everlasting Father. Aviad, the Aramaic we say all the time here, the Aramaic word for daddy is what? Abba. Abba. That's why this is Abba's house. This is the father's house. This is the place where prodigals can come home. This is a place of authority. It's a place of grace. It's a place for everyone. And we're all a part of that vision and that mission. Everyone is welcome here. Just because they sin differently than you doesn't mean they can't come here. Everyone is welcome here. Now we hope that we will all be transformed and the Spirit will make us all better. Amen? People may come in lost. We don't want them to leave lost. They may come in in bondage. We don't want them to leave in bondage. But this place is for everyone. The definition is a father who bears witness or gives a testimony. A father who distributes the spoils. A father for the future. The future. You see, we all experience one of two things on this earth, either the love of a father or the absence of a father. That is why God in his unique design is a father. Because for those of us that have lost our father or for those of us like me who are still blessed to have his, we can't be solely dependent on our earthly father. We must shift our minds and our spirits to our heavenly father. And for those of you that don't, didn't have a father, maybe your daddy left or he was absentee or he was abusive, it's the same principle. You've got to make a decision to shift from the pain of your past and look into the eyes of a heavenly father that's gracious, that loves you, that will love you like you need to be loved and will give you what you need as a son or a daughter. He loves to give gifts, the Bible says. He will take care of you, but you have to stop viewing God as this 
old white man with a white beard breathing fire down. That's not who God is. He is a loving father. He is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's everything you need all by himself. And if you'll love him and accept him, he'll change your life. Everlasting Father, because you are his sons, God has sent forth his spirit into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Every person, that's how you get saved. There's something missing inside, something unfulfilled, something insecure. You cry, Abba, Father, because you realize you have a need to be in covenant with God. And the way you find the Father is through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to my daddy unless they come through me. So you got to go through Jesus. He is the way of covenant. Why? Because he shed his blood. And he is the way of covenant that leads to an authentic relationship with daddy. He's not only everlasting father, he's prince of peace. He is a ruler who brings peace. That is what Isaiah 2 prophesies, that one day there will be peace on earth. It was prophesied and celebrated when Jesus was born by the shepherds. But one day, those of us that know Jesus will genuinely experience this peace. You don't have to worry about another terrorist attack, a 9-11 attack, another war in the Middle East. Every demon of hell will have been defeated and we will be one. We will have abundance and we will be with our Savior forevermore. The word for peace is shalom. It says in Zechariah chapter 9 that he shall speak peace to the nations. Peace to the nations. You know, we all want peace within our minds, within our hearts, within our families, within our nations. But it starts with you. Are you at peace this season? Do you have peace in your heart? Are you troubled in your spirit? Have you given your burdens to Jesus? Have you connected with the Father? Have you given God a great praise? Have you lifted up his name during difficult seasons? I'm telling you, friends, we need Jesus. We need this wonderful child that became a wonderful Savior. You need him, and I need him, and this world needs him. But it starts with us. Are we going to surrender? Are we going to pick up our cross and follow him? Are we going to do what he said to do? Are we going to live the way he told us to live? Are we really going to buy into the kingdom? Are we just going to keep settling for religion? I believe prophetically Abba's house is on the verge of a great shift to the kingdom. We've come so far, too far to look back now. I believe God has strategically placed this grace place here for such a time as this. I believe this is our moment. And we're seeing fruit. Those that have the Spirit are seeing God move. Really, the past two years, not just in salvations and baptisms, but in creative miracles and kingdom advancement, we're seeing the first fruits of this. But I'm telling you, as soon as you experience this peace, then you'll start to pursue the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I want you to have peace. I close right here. His kingdom will never end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, 
establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The kingdom, he established it. Everybody say he established it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All these things. You don't know what to do? Seek the kingdom. You're in a difficult situation? Seek the kingdom. You need healing in your body? Seek the kingdom. You need an increase in your finances? Seek the kingdom. Claim it. People say, oh, Lord, Pastor Ronnie's turned into one of those name it and claim it people. You better believe I am. Either believe all the Bible or don't believe any of it. Seek the kingdom. Begin to ask the kingdom and make its way into your body and into your mindset, into your bank account, into your career. Believe it when you pray it. He established the kingdom. Jesus created it. He paid for it. He earned it. He established it, but he earned it. How did he earn it? Because he gave his life for it. When you give your life to something, it's of great value to those who genuinely care. He established it, he earned it. Ah, but he elevated it. He elevated the kingdom. Because see, Satan thought he won when he hung on that cross for three days. But what Satan didn't know was Jesus had went down into that other realm and he made Satan aware of what his future was going to be. He got the keys to the kingdom and he came and he has given us those keys. Now some of you are scared to try the key. You're afraid to get hold of your key. But let me tell you, God has given you everything you need to do and be who he's called you to be. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to live under guilt about it. Stop living under guilt. Stop living under guilt. He established it. He earned it. He elevated it through the cross and an empty tomb. Finally, he entrusted us with it. He's given us the kingdom. That's you. He's given you everything you need, every spiritual gift you need to serve him, to surrender, to even die for the cause if you have to, to reign, to rule, to take dominion. That's why we were created, to take dominion and have fellowship with God. You were created for more. Not only are you more than a conqueror, God has promised you more. More. And I close here. He will emerge to reclaim the kingdom of this world. As I said when we quoted Revelation 20 and 21, yes, there's a spiritual kingdom that we have access to now, but a literal kingdom is coming that he will reign over and we will reign with him. He's going to come on the scene after Armageddon and he's going to clean house. He's not going to be a little baby in a manger anymore. He's going to be coming on a white horse and he's going to be coming as a just God and he's coming to avenge his people. And he's coming to put Satan in his rightful place once and for all. Amen. And you have access to that. I just wonder this Christmas season, are we ready? Are we ready for this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace? I wonder if we're ready for him. 
to return. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I'm going to ask my pastors to make your way down. The power of God's already moved during worship. Prophetic was released today, but I believe God may want to save or heal some people today. If you need Jesus Christ in your life today, if you need peace in your life that passes all understanding, if you need shalom, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be saved. I'm not talking about religion, joining a church, saluting me or anybody else. I'm talking about repenting of your sins, asking God to come into your heart and save you, believing what the Bible says and putting your faith and trust in this child that became an adult, that became the savior of the world, Jesus. If you're lost, you say, Pastor Ronnie, if I died today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I don't know that I have peace with God. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I was house help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Use me for your glory. You prayed that prayer. The Bible says to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you prayed it and you meant it, you won't be ashamed of Jesus in the public arena. In fact, Jesus said, if you'll not confess me in front of men, I'll not confess you in front of my Father. That's why we have what is called an altar call. Not only to pray for you and hug you and love you, connect you with the church, but we want to give you an opportunity to say publicly, I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. That's the first step in following him is to not be ashamed of it. So if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, online you can connect with your online pastor, but if you're in the house, I want you to come tell one of these pastors in just a minute. Some of you have prayer needs in your life. You have healing needs. I know I'm praying for Sheila Craig today and the struggle that she's in. And those of you that have lost loved ones, I'm praying for you. Others are struggling, and I don't even know what you're dealing with. I'm going to tell you, these men and women of God are gifted in prayer. They're filled with the Spirit of God. They'll pray for you in these few minutes we have together if you need a miracle. But you're going to have to move from where you are to where they are. You're going to have to take a faith chance that God may just want to show up for you. And if you do that, he will. I'm going to be over to my right, your left, at the next steps. I would love to lay hands on you and pray with you if you need healing. You want to connect with this church. You just want to meet me. It doesn't matter. I want to connect with you. Stand on your feet. Heavenly Father, as we worship today, May your spirit be made manifest in this place in power and in glory. Lord, may people be saved and filled. May your glory fall as we worship. In Jesus' name, the name above every name, we pray. Amen. Amen.